Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 37th, 8th episode of The Horror Lab, where we dissect the best in horror movies each and every week. I'm your co-host, Will, and alongside me, I've got my co-host, Chris. And guys, we are doing a double feature today, sort of. Maybe a retread, not a retread. That's a, that's the wrong word, but definitely a double feature. So we're going to hop back into uh, the second part of Us, our, our review on Us. We're going to look a little bit more specifically at uh, the Easter eggs in the movies, maybe some of the hints that Jordan Peele dropped in the movie. I have a pun that I thought of that I am – I'm not sure if I'm proud of it until I say it out loud. So let's just go with it. <laughs> so Jordan Peele – rewards viewers who keep their eyes peeled for his Easter eggs. Guys, I am the next stand-up comedian. <laughs> I'm making a job trend. I've always wanted to try stand-up. <laughs> Listen, man, I have a friend from high school, not a friend, just a guy I knew in high school who did uh, some stand-up specials and that kind of thing. He was on a, a Netflix show couple years back. Oh, that's cool. And, um, yeah. Uh, his name's uh, Dan Klein. Um, I could never do it. Like in my brain, I'm like, yeah, I think I could do that. That looks so easy. But then I watch how like easy it is for him to be funny. And he was always a funny guy. I mean, back in high school. Um, and I'm just like, no, I have to like really try hard to be funny. And when I do get laughs, they're usually inadvertent. Like, I have to process whether they're laughing at me instead of with me. So I, I appreciate the work standups do in uh, keeping the rest of us lighthearted. So anyway, yeah. so that's my pun. Keep your eyes peeled while you watch us. You'll be rewarded for it. Um, there's a bajillion Easter eggs that we could point out. Things that I didn't even notice until not just the third viewing, but then I actually like read some things online where I was like, Oh yeah, I missed that all this time. Um, so we're going to do part one is, uh, the second part of us. And then in the second half of this episode, we are going to revisit the wailing all the way back from Harlab episode four. In fact, the wailing was the first episode that Chris joined in on as a special guest. This was pre co-host days. And if I remember right, Chris, that was either late February or early March of this year. So it's been a good, a good while. It's been a long ass time. It had it. It some ways it feels not so long, and then in other ways, twenty twenty three has felt like it's been measured with a sundial, like milliseconds at a time. So, guys, we are uh, we're gonna jump back into both. I've watched The Wailing twice this week, and. Chris and I were texting earlier in the week and I just told him, I said, my, my heart feels like a cauldron with existential dread bubbling all over because the wailing is so damn bleak. Fantastic movie. Now in my top six. Ooh. Number 11 to number six. Yeah. So I'll give you that little, little tidbit. All right. So we won't one. do <laughs> I know it is. Uh, and and I, I respect it. It it was completely out of my top twenty-five until I watched it the first time. And then I watched it again. I was like, yeah, this is really good. Moved into the top fifteen. I watched it a third time. We recorded, and I was like, nah, this is definitely close to the top ten. It inches closer to your life like those shamans. 
<laughs> it does. But as it gets closer to number one, I find <laughs> that my hope moves further away from baseline. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's life, what baby. F- <laughs> I know. It's like, what the f-, f is the point of life by the time I get done? So it, it should be a funny, a fun, you know, conversation in part two. We won't give you guys synopses of each of these movies. By the time you listen to this, us part one will be released. So you'll get a pretty good idea of what the movie's about. Um, and then if you haven't ever watched The Wailing, definitely worth it. It's on Netflix right now. So pretty readily available for most, probably most of our listeners. Um, just watch it there two and a half hours in and out and then watch it again and again and again, because you, you'll need to. <laughs> so Chris, let's, let's avoid the synopses. Let's jump right into us. Part two, we left off talking about or contemplating some of the Easter eggs. Oh yeah. Now, now having maybe watched it again or having done some more reading, what has stuck out to you since we've recorded episode or part one, us part one? Oh man, uh, that's a cool. How about you, Will? <laughs> I was thinking about all the Easter eggs. Uh, I was Jordan too. Peele just really loves cinema and especially the horror genre. I think we started talking about like, like Michael Jackson and all the illusions here and there. Yeah, so I was doing a deep, like deep dive. Uh, there's Thriller. The gloves probably uh, are a recall to Michael Jackson. He always loved to wear one glove. Yep. The son's name is Jason. He's always wearing a mask. So it's like Friday the 13th. Yeah. The twins is like The Shining. That's what someone said. I was like, oh, I, I, I can see that. And it t- turns out Jordan Peele actually dressed as uh, Jack Torrance during the, the press tour. Which was pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone said the rolling the some in the Rolling Stones. Jordan Peele said um, the doppelgangers was really inspired by an episode of Twilight Zone, uh, an episode called Mirror Image. Mm. Yeah. How about you? I I love it. So I I think I was uh, especially impressed with all of the sort of tips of the cap to previous horror films and just movies in general. Um, I, I find, I could be wrong, but I find that for me, the, the movies that resonate the most with horror or otherwise are those that seem to pay homage to previous filmmakers. Um, I, you know, we talked about it when we did our Psycho episode that so much of John Carpenter's films have sort of these little little nods to Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, to even, you know, some sometimes even as overt as like the same name from one character to the next. I, I appreciate that kind of thing because I, I it feels like at that point that movie, you know, filmmaking, movie making is collaborative rather than competitive, you know. And so to, you know, to tip your cap to the the pioneers that came before you and the, you know, the influences that really affected your your perspective or your point of view or your style. Like I, I love those things. So I definitely appreciated that. Um, I noticed, dude, I'm going to end up in space right off the bat. Like we're just going to launch into the stratosphere. So, all right. Um, I have a theory, a conspiracy, a theory. I don't know. 
that the the title of the movie us might have a double meaning okay so follow my stupid train of thought here okay there's a part in the movie where red tells uh tells adelaide that she uses these two words we're americans right and the movie has this sort of uh Americana feel to it a little bit, right? It, it goes back to hands across America, even the tips of the cap in, you know, to, to the VHS films on the bookshelf at the opening of the movie and, and sort of just the way the movie is stylized really feels like you're in this, the good old days of the eighties Americana type setting. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. That could be a stretch, right? But I wonder, I wonder knowing how Jordan Peele loves double meanings and hidden meanings and this kind of thing. I wonder if the movie title us is a double meaning for us, like United States. Oh, as in like the overall themes that we discussed in part one, right. Also are represented. It may even be this sort of, uh, this sort of hidden clue as to what the overall movie's about to say us. Yes. Individually, but also us like corporately America, to say, yeah. hey, these things affect us individually because they are true of us on a larger scale. I don't know. Spaceship, rocket ship, I am floating in space at the moment with the theory. But I, I, I just – it was a thought that I had watching it and then actually it came to me while I was watching the end credits and just sort of reflecting on it, this most recent viewing. Anyway, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? Tell me I'm crazy so I feel better. No, that's not crazy. Man, why, why would you want me to put you down? <laughs> no, I, I think that's really profound. I didn't cro- come across any of that, so you should copyright that or something. Maybe There's tweet. nothing new under the sun. The whaling has so taught me that everything is hopeless and meaningless. So. <laughs> so even though I feel like I might have originated that thought, I'm pretty sure someone somewhere has said it better than me years ago. <laughs> I'll give yourself some credit, man. Well, not yet. Yes, I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of like piggybacking off what you just said. It makes me think about Childish Gambino's This Is America and just oh, the yeah. idea yeah, yeah. of – you know, that song is about how America uses black people to entertain them while they try to divert their attention away from the death and violence they're causing on um, black people. Yeah. And so in a sense, you know, 70s, 80s is really nostalgic for a lot of people. I think that's one of the reasons why Stranger Things got so popular. It, it captures a pres- picturesque time where uh, America was safer. There wasn't a prevalence of gun violence and stuff like that. But, you know, beneath the surface, it's sort of like a a metaphor for the body, right? You can feel like you're really healthy, but you have cancer going underneath. And so I I think... Well, great. One more thing thing for me to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) Get your prostate checked. (laughs) That's oh God. (laughs) (laughs) The last time I got a a physical, my doctor was like, he was like this Russian like cardiologist. He's like, throw up your pants. (laughs) It's like, excuse me. 
Okay. Anyway, uh, TMI. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. So um, there's a sickness going underneath, and so that that is what America is like. And so I I think if you take into perspective the sum of all its parts, with you know hands across America going. Yeah, this is that title seems to make sense. That that pun, I'll take it. <laughs> Sold <laughs> to Will for yeah yeah pennies on the dollar. I'll take it. I, I, <laughs> if you add Adelaide, it's USA too. <laughs> oh, because she Red does say it to Adelaide, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Oh, the layers are. Wild. Even if we're making up the layers, the layers are wild. Uh, there's something you said, Chris, a couple minutes ago that that sort of occurred to me while you right after you said it. You, you said uh, using the the analogy of you know a healthy body with cancer underneath the surface, right? The I, I feel like for even I find myself doing this, you know, at times, especially like when I'm talking to my kids, sort of harkening back to the the glory days or the golden era, you know, the golden age of when we grew up, that kind of thing. I grew up in mostly in the nineties. Um, you know, formative years in the nineties. And, uh, but you hear with the, with the previous generations, right? Oh, the fifties were the, you know, everybody was safe and we didn't, but underneath the surface of that, right? Not all that glitters is gold. I mean, yes, in the eighties, let's say things were maybe simpler, but I mean, you live in, you live in New York city. I grew up in New York city in the eighties. New York city was one of the most dangerous cities on the planet. Between the crack, you know, epidemic in the late '80s, right? Uh, then the AIDS epidemic that hit, you know, '80s and '90s. You know, West New York was the murder capital of of the country back in those days. And so, on the one hand, you have this idyllic sort of hearkening back to what people will say was, you know, we didn't lock our doors. We knew our neighbors. Our kids could play in the street without fear of being kidnapped. That kind of thing. But that wasn't a universal truth for people or experience. No. You know, yeah, and maybe yeah. for a privileged It's what you few, choose to remember, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think back on the 90s yeah, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, like the 90s were fantastic, but there was a lot of shit going on in the 90s that I didn't realize until I was an adult <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell, you know? And so I, I, I feel like this, uh, you know, the movie obviously deals with duality of people, society, that kind of thing. I, I feel like the us US sort of conspiracy fits a little bit for a conspiracy. It only needs to fit marginally. It doesn't need to like interlock perfectly. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go with it. Um, I, I feel like also, um, I don't know, man, I, I, there's a part of me that feels the message of there's nowhere that's safe, you know, in this film, you would think that having money and having privilege and having re access to resources insulates you from whatever supposed dangers exist in the world out there, whether it's people or circumstances or whatever, right? And the movie sort of very literally brings the the danger into the penthouse, so to speak, right? There's really no safe place. And so because, uh, you know, 
obviously the the danger is not from the outside like the 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 tethered represent the individuals they're they're tied to the individuals themselves and so it's almost as if the movie says yes you can insulate from other people out there but you can't insulate yourself from yourself like if you're if you have shit and you don't deal with it or whatever that will come back to bite you in the ass at some point you know and the consequences will be swift and potentially severe that kind of thing I don't know. I feel that acutely in my line of work (laughs) where, you know, you can guide people towards the best potential decision or, or guide them towards maybe a helpful way that they can make a decision or look at at something. And then they choose opposite and natural consequences come as a result or legal or civil, whatever it is, you know, anyway. So I I don't know. I feel, I felt this this movie more acutely in subsequent watches than I did the first time I watched it. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? I, I think something else the movie tries to do, and I'm not sure if it was intended, but you know, we, we definitely talked about privilege. I think the previous episode, I think we did. A you kind bit. of alluded to it now. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, even though they're very privileged and they, they live in these nice houses, drive nice cars, they have money, they went to Harvard, stuff like that. The bad shit catches up to them. Yeah. And so building off on the idea, you know, that this movie is also about like poverty, class conflict and stuff like that. It, it's almost like your what you reap is what you sow. Yeah, there are consequences sure. to what you do. And for I sure. think people don't realize that your decisions impacts people halfway across the world. You know, people are buying like Tesla's, getting the newest iPhones. And so, yeah. But there are these kids in the Congo who, who are mining these right. things are being poisoned to death. Right. And so if they rise up violently, like, how are you going to react, right? Right. And so I, I think if some of us who do watch the movie kind of, you know, see, oh man, I'm not sure if I want to go there, but all right. Oh, I let me, understand. Let me, <laughs> <laughs> I know this is very controversial, but, you know, I condemn violence and war. No one should die. But, you know, the fact that, you know, there are Palestinian militant groups, for, you know, fighting back, you know, they, they feel suffocated and crushed. And your privilege isn't as safe as you think it is. And it doesn't safeguard you. And, sure. I, and I think that's what the movie is, is, is also trying to teach us. Sure. If it, I'm not sure if it was intended or not, but it's, it's kind of scary. Oh, I, th- I think you're right. Americans have the privilege of like being geographically isolate, isolated from most of the, yeah. the violence going on around the world. But who knows? One day someone might send a you know, nuclear weapon across the Atlantic Ocean. We never know. Yeah, it, it, it's true. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's hard to – and maybe this is part of, part of human nature. It's hard to connect to things that don't directly affect you or you think don't directly affect you. You know, or affect you so far down the line that it's, 
you know, it's sort of like uh, if you if you drop a rock into into a pond, that immediate ripple effect, right? That ground zero ripple effect. By the time it gets to you on the shore, you may not even notice it. You know, it still hits you. you it's still affected you, but you're just not paying attention to it. I feel like it's easy for us to do that, and not, not just um, um, as Americans looking at the world around us, but even as you know, individuals who work to safeguard ourselves from the others, right? Whether it's, it's, you know, people who, who move from, you know, urban centers to suburban centers to escape whatever they, they feel is a threat to them, right? They, to them, as they get further away, they feel like, well, you know, it happens over there. It doesn't happen to us. I feel like that privilege is easy to delude ourselves with for sure. You know? And, um, I think at the same time, because of that, controversial or not, I think oftentimes we feel like we're oppressed when we might actually be the oppressor, right? It's easy for us to sort of, however unintentional, you know, to switch roles and, and point the finger at the supposed bad guys. But I feel like a part of the movie is really learning to identify oneself, right? To recognize, again, that duality of good and evil, right? Good and bad or whatever it is. It's easy for us to put ourselves in a position where we're the hero of of our story or where, you know, someone else is the villain in our story when, but it's f- fucking hard to look in the mirror and call, call what you see for what it is, right? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I feel like yeah. the movie exposes that for us. Like, hey, maybe you're not as good as you think you are. Like if you were to really ask the question, who am I? would you would you describe what you see accurately for what it is or would you skirt around it dance around you see what i'm saying that's a hard that's a hard thing man <laughs> for all of for all of us doesn't matter who we are and one mark of privilege is getting to determine what your narrative is like yeah you know as you you were saying adelaide fake adelaide she chooses to forget what she did, right? And, you know, she, I'm not sure if it was like willful ignorance or she just was just kind of inconvenient to her. She just kind of robbed someone of her life. But you yeah. also can't blame her for that because she was destined for, you know, a life of pain and suffering. And so. Yeah, that's that's hard. I get, I get it because it's like it's like if you knew if you knew the timeline of your life at the start, right? And you knew that if you if you did if you did nothing, you would end up here. But if you did X, Y, and Z, you could potentially alter the course of your life. Which road would you choose? Right? That man. Again, we we would all, you know, Monday morning quarterback type stuff. We would all say, well, I, you know, I would do. I would never do X, Y, and Z. I would stick with it, right? And I would just do the best I could. But the truth is, man, like none of us really know until we hit that fork in the road, you know? And that's a, man, it's it's tough. The, I feel like the movie is deeper. However, whether it's intentional or not, I feel like the movie is way deeper than I definitely gave it credit for up front in bringing those questions, even without an answer, because I don't think you need to answer every question. I don't think a director or a movie film needs to answer every question it asks. But I think sometimes just raising the question is enough to leave us, ugh, 
<laughs> feeling, feeling away, you know, and it, it is hard, man. It, it's a, it's a hard thing. I would, I would bet that if I had to summarize this movie in one sentence, and then I'll get your thoughts on how you would summarize it. I would say that we're all more hypocritical than we even realize. <laughs> and maybe that's just my existential dread bubbling up. Damn, from, you know. But but that would be my takeaway: is that that we're we're far more hypocritical than we realize, than we would even give ourselves credit for, or than we would claim if all the evidence was presented to us. Damn, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> What are your thoughts? Oh, man. So th- this is just the, the line that kind of came to me. It might change later on. But I think based on our conversation today, I think if I can sum- summarize the movie in one line, it's it's uh, chickens will come home to roost. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. They They will. And I actually yeah. have chickens, and I will tell you, they do come home to roost. <laughs> so it, it's a it's a pretty bleak movie. I mean, even though at the end, you know, there's some some measure of you know, oh, they they escaped, the family escaped, they all made it out alive. But the question is, they made it out alive, but what kind of life lies ahead of them? You know, and at, at the expense of of who 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 of whom who who's being. What is that? What is that? Did they learn a lesson or did they just, is it just for, like, those are questions that come up that we don't have answers to, which I appreciate. All right. I'm good. I feel like that that's a good, a good place. Good All place. Right. Yeah. Let's hop into the whaling part two, a follow-up to initial viewings from back in February. Um, Dude, this movie made me sad. It made me so sad. <laughs> like, I watched it twice this week, and both times I walked away super sad. Just this down feeling after watching it. And um, I don't know. Chris, I- I'll... I'll share the text that I sent you and uh, maybe that'll be a good, a good jumping off point. So I think it was either Monday or Tuesday. I texted Chris. I, I said, uh, I said, uh, watching it this go round, I think the movie is pretty brilliant and effective. No, I said something before that. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Let, me, let me back up. I said, okay, I just watched it recently and thought it was pretty good. Um, that was a different movie. I said, so the wailing, feels like a film version of Ecclesiastes, which is a, a, a book in the Bible in the Old Testament. Um, I said, it feels like a film version of Ecclesiastes, mostly in the dark, ominous, foreboding, nothing really matters kind of way. So much of the movie feels arbitrary, which is probably intentional, but it feels like a metaphor for life in general. This is more me unless the movie faith feels like a thing to hold on to when your grip is slipping from everything else. And then I said this, mostly thinking out loud, maybe not my actual belief, um, but what if the purpose of life, the ultimate purpose of life is to avoid an awful death? We don't understand death. We can't escape it. So why not do what we can to make it less awful? We don't understand evil. We can't escape it. 
So why not cling to faith to make it more palatable? And then I put, that's bleak, <laughs> which is still how I feel right now, having watched it twice. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> no, I, you know, the context of the movie, and I, we definitely talked about this in the episode back in February. The director, Na Hongjin, is a practicing, I think he's Catholic. And so, he, you know, he made the movie as a way to process his grief. And I think a number of his friends died just so suddenly. And so he mm. turned to religion for answers. But, you know, fact is, the, if you're a member of any faith tradition, you'll know the deeper you go into your faith, the less answers you have and the more questions you'll get. And so, you know, when you end up leaving this movie, you're wondering why all these things that happen. And the fact is, you won't really get any answers and then you'll die. That's bleak. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Oh, Lord. So Chris, Chris and I both come from, you know, a faith background. Chris is a minister. I, I was. Um, for a, a number of years. And um, I, I don't know, Chris, maybe you can agree or, or offer a, a, maybe a different point of view. When I, was, when I was a pastor, I felt this sort of acute pressure to have a sense of certainty about all the things, questions that people had, w- ways to guide and direct and counsel people towards whatever perceived end needed to happen or you know whatever it was. Um, even a sense of like doctrinal convictions, like this is what it is. And I, I, it wasn't until I, I left ministry over two years ago where I started to really recognize the importance. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be cynical in this, in this part of the discussion, even though there's a part of me that is, um, the importance of asking questions and not just asking questions. I think that's one, one part of a larger process, but also, just sort of sitting with the lack of answers as you ask them. Like not everything is going to have an answer or, a, you know, tie up neat and nice and tidy. Um, and I find now, a couple of years after the fact, I find that I'm very comfortable sitting in that uncertainty or in those lack of answers more now than I ever was at any point Definitely, you know, in ministry, in, you know, pastoral ministry, um, it doesn't bother me. Is that, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I think the movie, you know, we, we talked, we talked about this in through our texts. It's the movie kind of challenges you to see if you can be certain about anything. Oh, because yeah. one thing the movie does really well is that it pretty much I'm not sure if masculate is the right word, but <laughs> it definitely shows how untrustworthy it's not quite untrustworthy, but all these institutions in your life, whether they're doctors whether it's like the parish priest or a local shaman or whether it's the police officer or whether it's your own dad and mom, they don't really have the answers and they'll often say 
competing things. Mm. And so it, it really seems like uh, I remember the last question you asked in the, the whaling episode, you know, what is faith? Is it, is it more like rest? And so that, that really stuck with me. So, I, and I told, well, I, I think this movie is trying to say faith is really about just being able to make the right decision in a given moment. And um, even amidst all, all the crazy things that are happening, but the thing is, if, if you make the wrong decision, you'll, people, people will die. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very true. Yeah. Certainty, certainty can hurt. And, you know, people were certain that the stranger was evil. And so, yeah, they, they should have chased the stranger out of the town. But instead, they just kind of kill him and dehumanize him. Um, yeah. yeah, certainty can have really bad consequences. But it's weird because you also need the certainty to to just take action. And that's something Chongu, the main character, really doesn't do. Because, you know, he, he goes there to threaten the stranger. And they see, you know, his his little shrine of... Shoot, what what's what's that word when serial killers take take things from their victims? Oh, the, I was gonna say totems, but it's not totems. It's to- uh, yeah, it's not quite totems. It, it's not totems. It will come. It will at two a.m. when we're trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he just um, he, he he can't take action in the right way, and I and I think that says a lot about just what it means to be human, like. You know, when everything is, you're in the middle, in, in the eye of the storm, and everything is being destroyed around you, you really do lack the faculties in making a right decision. But you still yeah. have to have the faith that you need to make the right one, which is really scary. And I feel like I would not be able to make the right decision. <laughs> that, that's the hard uh, Trophies. They take trophies. Trophies, yes. From their victims. Oh, that's Awful. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> also bleak. Oh, I feel the bleakness permeating my soul. Um, that That's the hard part, right, man? I, I mean, like so much of faith is built on a, a certain a certain amount of certainty or at least our perceived certainty of things. Right. You know, whether those are doctrinal statements or, you know, values, personal values, convictions, affirmation, whatever it is. And so. I, th- I think probably for all of us, we we make decisions largely stemming from those core values or core beliefs, whatever whatever they are. But there's still a chaos in all of that that I don't think we give enough credit for. We definitely don't talk about for whatever reason. I mean, it's hard because we could even still make the best decision with the information we have available, and it still go pretty shitty and still have life altering consequences for ourselves and other people. That's a really hard thing. And I, I know that in the past looking back, you know, I, I always say now I only knew what I knew. I, you know, I didn't know five years ago, I didn't know now or then what I know now, whether that's, 
new information or new insight or a completely different point of view, whatever it is. And there, there is a part of that that sort of assuages my conscience. But at the other end, there's also a part of that where I'm like, yeah, but that feels like a cop out. Like almost as if I'm saying, well, because I didn't know, well, absolve me of whatever, right? And so I, I wonder if the antidote to chaos, right, is not so much trying to figure out the certainty of things so that you can feel better as opposed to maybe the humility to enter into dialogue with others and apologize when necessary. Like to say, Hey, I did the best I could. It still fucked up. Like that's just where we were. I know better now. And I'm sorry. How do we, how do we rectify it? How do we, you know, what, what is, uh, what does that look like? What does forgiveness and restitution and all, all of that look like? Dude, that's hard. <laughs> that's a, that's a hard thing. Yeah. And you know, it, it may just made me have a thought, you know, maybe faith is also just opening your eyes and not seeking clean cut answers from people. Cause he yeah. goes to the priest, he goes, Jungle goes to the doctor. Yeah. But there are things that he didn't really open his 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 own eyes to, you know. Yeah. There's uh, throughout the movie, it's hinted that you know, the stranger is raping women, sexually assaulting women. Yeah. And it's hinting that the stranger also assaulted his daughter. But it seems like Chongu never explores that more because he's yeah. set on a certain path. Yeah. Which wasn't really what he wanted to take in the first place, right? Because he he's sort of passive in the way because it's his it's his mother in law who was like, you, you, "We should go s- uh, the shaman," and so yeah, there's like evil happening all around us, and you, you really have to open your eyes to to see what's going on if you want to yeah. if you want to beat it. Yeah, I agree. Which is still. Super difficult, right? I mean, just looking at us as as individual people, how do you choose? Like, how do you choose when and where and what to give a time, attention, resources? You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. to see the injustices of any number of things, you know, what's the decision making influences? you know, to, to come out on the other side and say, this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to focus on and, and give attention to. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the communal side of the, the community side of life and relationship and, and that kind of thing. But individually, man, it's so unsatisfying. You know, it, it's really easy to look at the world around us and say, damn, like things are, things are bad everywhere, you know? And it's really difficult to say, but I'm one person who can do only so much. How do we link arms and, you know, link up with people that can, you know, further the cause or, you know, work towards progress that me by myself, I can't do, you know, alone. I feel like that's an element of faith as well is not just my core personal beliefs that guide my own thinking and decision-making in life, but then also exercising a certain measure of faith towards others to 
part, does that make sense to like partner with them towards a solution or whatever it is, which I feel like the movie sort of subverts that idea a little bit <laughs> because he he looks at his community around like he's trying his best and going and, you know, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work out very well. And that's, that's the bleakness of it too, is that the movie doesn't end with really any solution <laughs> at all <laughs> individually or in his family or within the community itself. It just feels like this big, wailing of you know of stuff i don't know my brains are still spinning and firing but i don't feel like i'm moving any further than i am now (laughs) i don't know what do you think it makes me think back to the the title of the movie the Wailing, and I actually prefer the Korean title more because it's a uh, it has double meaning, which mm. it's kind of similar to uh, us because Koksung is not just the name of the the village, but it's also it, it also means to wail, to, you know, to lament, and yeah. so it, it, it's uh, it you know I think you could take the movie as a form of the Ecclesiastes, but it's also like a form of lamentation, right? Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lamentation is just sort of, sort of life. You're singing your own funeral song as 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 you live. Ooh. And and the and when I thought the bleakness couldn't get any deeper, <laughs> there there we are. There we go. Just hitch a yeah. ride to, you know, the bleak train station <laughs> and I'm your captain. I'm taking you there, guys. It's a good point, though. I mean, you know, and it, I don't know, man, I, I think about it just just in terms of like our own emotions, our own sense of lament and and the stuff we work through as as people. Th- there does feel like there's a certain baseline of sadness that we all live with like it's not it's not all happy all the time there's always this and and i remember i remember a few years ago when i was in the thick of of some some really you know deep struggles with with faith and vocation and life and all of that i i remember thinking to myself like there's just a part of me that's sad like that that part of me has probably always existed it I suspect that it will always exist. And there was a certain acceptance that I came to over time where it was like, I don't, I don't know that this part of me needs to change so much as I just need to recognize it's the, the reality of that it exists, you know? And it's the part of me that allows for the acknowledgement that things aren't what they should be. And that sometimes it's okay to, to feel that, to be that. You know, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel chaotic. It's okay to feel what you feel because that's not going to go anywhere regardless. You know what I'm saying? And so rather than trying to ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist, maybe maybe health to some degree is the acknowledgement and the recognition that this is, this is a part of my life. This is a part of life. And how do we give voice to it in 
appropriate ways in due season. I don't know. I feel like this movie is that, but the movie does it in this hyper chaotic way, which is, which, which is super effective for a horror movie (laughs) as a, as a metaphor of life. I find that it resonates in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, the external screams of the characters in some ways are the internal screams of my own heart at times. Like that's, that was a realization that I came to watching it this most recent times. Like, huh, I wasn't, I was not expecting that. I think I was surprised by that connection or that relatability. But that's what it is. Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Have faith in yourself. (laughs) Have faith in human beings. I, that's the thing. So when I say it's bleak, I don't think, I I don't feel like it's despairing. And so I, I, I probably make a differentiation between the two that things could be dark and ominous and sad and lamentable and grief stricken and all these things. But there's always, there's still a part of me that holds on to some measure of hope that individually, collectively, dark skies lead to peaceful horizons, that kind of thing. So I don't know. Uh, I'm chaotic. <laughs> My soul is chaos. Oh, Lord. I don't know. Dude, this was a great movie, though. Like, it was a good movie the first time I watched it. I'm finding myself recommending it to people a lot after these most recent views. Yeah. That, hey, if you want to watch a terrific uh, horror movie, but just a, a really great movie on faith and just give this one a watch, you know? And I'm like, you need yeah. two and a half hours a you need to not get up. It it really is just a phenomenal piece of of art. So it may yet move into my top five. I actually may move the sixth sense down. Move. <laughs> so right now it's a total war between the sixth sense or seven. But I feel like oh. seven might slide over, which would put the whaling at number two behind the exorcist. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, dude. Anything anything you want to add? Anything that I'm like missing? I, I think I've had all the hope drain out of me. <laughs> Let it out. Dude, I, I'm, we're telling you guys, this movie is yeah bleak. It is a, a dark but sky. That's the crazy the thing the about hope and bl- hopelessness, right? You still can't help but have hope even as you've hit rock bottom. And I think that's why... The movie ends with that scene with the father and the daughter, uh, yeah. with, with Hong Jin and Chong Gu together. Because, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, light. There, there are there, there is glimpses of light, and you really got to hold on to it. Yeah, I agree. However, however small, however thin, I think hope is what compels us, compels us, and it, it keeps us moving through those those seasons, those dark, that through that darkness. So guys, the wailing absolute masterpiece. Give it a watch us terribly deep. Watch that one as well. We've got some great movies and some great guests coming up in the coming weeks. We're actually going to guest on a couple of podcasts as well. Um, so stay tuned guys. We're back in the lab. Things are picking back up and, uh, we will catch you 
in the next episode. Thanks for listening, guys.